I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 20 this morning as we're continuing in a sermon series called, Do the Ten Commandments Still Matter? Last Sunday, we kind of went through some cliff notes of the Old Testament story up until God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. We had, we had been there when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and went out into the desert, and they came to the bottom of Mount Sinai where Moses put up a barrier that God told Moses put a barrier around the mountain so the people don't come up the mountain. And it was there that Moses then went up on the mountain, and God came down in thunder and in lightning on top of Mount Sinai, and he made his first grand announcement to the people. As they were standing back, God knew that he had something just amazing that he wanted to tell them, and now he had everyone's attention. And that's where we left off last Sunday, his words to the nation when he started to speak, when he talked to Moses, came to create a covenant, a promise, a vow with the nation of Israel who is all around just in God's presence. He's making a commitment to them. And he starts out in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 1, and he says, I am the Lord your God, the one who rescued you from Egypt. And then God starts this list of commandments. And this morning we're going to look at the very first commandment, and we're going to give it its proper attention and the proper time that, that it deserves. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments it reads like this, from Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 3, You must not have any other God but me. Now before we dive into this, we need to go back into our elementary school reading class. We need to make sure that we fully understand what the words are in this particular verse and what the words mean. Because it sounds the same when you hear it, but it reads differently when you read it. When we hear God say, I am the Lord your God, and then you should have no other gods beside me, it sounds exactly the same. The word, there's no difference. But when, when we read it, we can see the full effect of this verse that you can't hear by reading it out loud. We read it like this, you must not have any other gods, lowercase g, but me. See, whenever the Bible is speaking of God, God the Father, Yahweh, our Lord and Savior, whenever he's speaking about God in heaven, it'll use a uppercase g, the God of Israel, the God of Joseph, Moses, Abraham, Jacob. This is the God that we serve. Whenever the Bible is referring to other gods... However, the Bible uses a lowercase g. The Israelites are referring to Yahweh, God the Father, as God, uppercase g. Or in your Bible, you might see the word Lord all in uppercase, L-O-R-D. All of those are uppercase letters, okay? So that's referring to God the Father in heaven. Now, lowercase g, gods, is Something, it, it, it's different. But this is what God is referring to when he says, I don't want you to have any gods but me. The word God as opposed to God is written differently, sounds the same. So I want to make that, that differentiation this morning because this little meaning 
makes a world of difference. As a matter of fact, the difference between a capital G and a lowercase g makes an eternity of difference. An upper, a lowercase g, God could be anything or anyone at this particular time in the Israelites' history. You could have a, a sun god, lowercase g. You could have a moon, lowercase g god. You could have a lowercase g god of war. You could have a lowercase g god of, made out of wood or a lowercase g god made out of sticks or stones. or You could have a lowercase g god made out of tumbleweeds. It's not uppercase G, God. All of these other gods that God is telling the people not to worship are all lowercase G, gods. Now, I want to make something very clear. Many people in this time in Israel's history worshipped lowercase G, gods. They had just come out of Egypt they had been in Egypt enslaved for generations. 400 years they had been there. And the Egyptians had many gods who they served. So the Israelites who had conformed, who understood Egyptian culture, knew about many, many different gods. We call this uh, uh, pantheism. Pan meaning all or, or polytheism. Poly meaning many. God, the Father says, worship only me, mono, monotheism. Mono meaning one, theo meaning God. It's one God. So today we're going to look at this commandment that says, you shall have no other gods but me. I want you to look at verses 2 and 3, and I want you to recognize the pronouns as we're in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 2. And, and listen to this. It says, God says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt. In the place of your slavery, you must not have any other gods but me. Did you recognize those personal words in these verses? See, God isn't simply talking to all of his creation, he's talking to a very specific group of people. But in order for the Israelites, as a collective nation, to be obedient corporately, it required that each individual person be obedient individually. That's actually something, if you think about it, the Ten Commandments, when you think Ten Commandments, it goes through your head. Something that we all think about is like, well, I do a pretty good job of keeping the Ten Commandments. Or, oh, there's a couple of the commandments that, you know, I'm not so good at. I'm getting better at. I'm working on them. Do you hear what you're saying? You hear I, 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 right? It's because you are taking the Ten Commandments personally. And you're supposed to take them personally. That's actually point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time, up in the chat room right now on Facebook and on YouTube, you will see a link, and that's to the sermon notes for this sermon. You can also find them on our website at parisvalleycc.com. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. The Ten Commandments were given to everyone, including me, including you. 
including the nation of Israel, the nation as a whole, but each individual person who makes up that nation, it was also given to them. See, when God gave the people these instructions, he didn't just expect them to obey them individually. He expected them to obey them corporately. He expected full obedience from the nation to the Ten Commandments and full obedience individually. He wanted the nation to have no other gods but him, and he wanted individuals to have no other gods but him. He wanted the nation to not make any graven images, and he wanted individuals not to make any graven images. He wanted the nation to remember the Sabbath, and he wanted individuals also to remember the Sabbath. He wanted the entire nation to shun adultery. And he also wanted the individual members of the nation to shun adultery. God is commanding Israel not to have any alliances or have any worship to any lowercase g gods. If you remember Israel in Egypt coming out of Egypt, knowing that there are other gods, they're familiar with that, and knowing, as God knows, that the Israelites are about to go towards the promised land. There are people currently living in their land that God's going to give them, the Canaanites. They're going to the land of Canaan. And the Canaanites, there would be numerous different tribes, and a lot of tribes have their own gods. There are so many different gods in this land. God knew that he had to lay down this rule early and be firm to this rule so that his people did not get influenced by other people's gods and then his people go to the wayside. They put capital G, uppercase G, God, to the side. After God had given Moses the Ten Commandments and these rules and instructions, we see the response from the nation. We see this response in Exodus chapter 24, verse number 3. It reads like this. It says, Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So there was the response from the nation, saying, yes, we understand, and we are going to listen to the Lord. We are agreeing that we are going to obey Him. We are going to follow His command. We've seen His miracles, because He just brought us out of Egypt, and we're on fire for God, and we've been released from bondage. Yes, we're going to obey Him. Yes, we're going to follow Him. The nation is all on board. See, it's easy to agree to follow God in those times when we're on fire for Him. It's easy to follow God in those times when life is going well, when everything seems to be clicking just perfect. I wonder if the Israelites followed God as as deep and, and, and as energetically back when they were slaves in Egypt, and they were making bricks out of mud and straw. I wonder sometimes if maybe when we're on fire and things are just going so good in our lives, I wonder what it takes to hold on to that and to the times when things aren't going as well. Because it's those times that 
we seem to slip away. I want you to write this down. It's point number two in your notes this morning. God needs us to remember at all times that we should have no other gods. That's a lowercase g. Remember at all times. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we see there's a handoff in the leadership of the nation of Israel from Moses to Joshua. And and Joshua has taken the nation into the promised land. But remember, there's people who already live there. And so Joshua and the nation, they have had battles that they have won. They have had battles that they have lost. And Joshua now is going to have what we would call a come-to-Jesus meeting with the nation. He's going to get up and he's going to address everyone and he's going to remind them of this commandment that Moses had given them. We could probably assume correctly that Joshua wouldn't be having this conversation with the nation if there wasn't a problem serving lowercase g gods. We're looking at, right now, we're about 80 years past Mount Sinai. But if there wasn't a problem, if everyone was serving uppercase G God, Joshua would be fine. But they're not. I want you to follow me. We're in Joshua chapter 24. I'm going to be in verse number 15. We're going to put this up on the screen, okay? Joshua says this when he, when he talks to the people. He says, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When Joshua says, Are you going to serve the gods that your fathers served on the other side of the river, the Euphrates, he's talking lowercase g gods, or the Amorites, these are people who lived in the promised land already, lowercase g gods, who are you going to serve? Choose now, uppercase g god or lowercase g god? The response from this generation, again, this is a different generation than Moses talked to on Mount Sinai. That group of people wandered out in the desert They died. This is their offspring, okay? These are a different group of people, but watch. They're going to say the same exact thing as the the previous generation did years ago. We're in verse number 16. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other lowercase g gods. For the Lord our uppercase g god is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us though all the way in, in which we went and among all the peoples who, whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God, uppercase G. So once again, The people recognize what God has done. And they repeated it to Joshua. They said, look, we see what God has done. In in the case of this generation, they see that God has been with them as they have defeated armies, as they have defeated other groups of people who are living in the promised land. God told them to go in and wipe everything out. They didn't stick to that plan. 
They won some battles. They lost some battles. But they can tell that God is with them. They say, we know that he is here. They say, and we're willing to serve the Lord. And we're willing to serve him alone. Just like their parents. They're standing, listening to their leader. And they're on fire for the Lord. It's like that first day when you come home from Christian summer camp. And, and you're just... you're. You're on fire. You're excited. You just want to tell everyone about this week that you've spent at camp. And you want to tell everyone your testimony. And you want to tell everyone these amazing songs that you learned. And you want to tell them about the skits that you saw and how much fun you had with all of your friends. And you want to tell them about the, the, the sermon notes that you took in, in the different classes at, at Christian summer camp. And then reality hits on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday of the next week. Joshua wants to remind this nation about the depth of their commitment that they made to God. It's not just a simple, just level skin deep commitment. This is a deep commitment. Verse number 19, it says, it reads like this. You will not be able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, uppercase G. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. The people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore... Put away the foreign gods, lowercase g, which are in your midst, and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God, uppercase g, of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord, our God, uppercase g, and we will obey his voice. Somewhere deep inside, I wonder if Joshua thought that these were just words that the people were telling him. He'd been there when... The past generation had said these words to Moses. He's heard this before. He's seen the people pledge and fail, and pledge and fail, and pledge and fail. And it's not because of a lack of strength on God's part. No, it's because of a lack of strength and integrity on people's part. How many times have we tried Pledged and failed. Tried, pledged, and failed. That failure is not on God's part. See, the nation of Israel continued to let themselves be torn away by lowercase g gods. The covenant that God was making with his people at the base of Mount Sinai, it was, it was an agreement that required only one side. It only required God. It's not a requirement for two people to make a signature here. It's a covenant, but this is a conditional covenant. God says, you will be my chosen, my treasured people if. Remember that? We studied that last week. If. So the people have a choice. They're not robots. They have a choice. This is God giving the ten 
commandments. No follower of God, uppercase G, God, has ever looked at Exodus chapter 20 and said, let's come together and let's study the 10 suggestions. They're not. They're not suggestions. I don't know any parent that about 5.30 in the afternoon goes to all of the children and says, you know what? I'm about ready to go into the kitchen. You can choose between ice cream for dinner or vegetables for dinner. See, God isn't giving us a menu to choose from. He is giving us a command. Do not have any other gods before me. He's not even saying this. Some people say, oh, well, the Ten Commandments are, are, are like this. God is not saying, hey, if you, if, if you live a good Christian life, you should have no other gods but me. Or, you know what, keep trying. Keep trying to serve only me. You're going to get there someday. I know it. You're going to get all these other gods out of your life. I know it. Good job. God's not saying that. No, he says, you must not have any other gods but me. He is in no way giving anyone any permission to worship or align with any other god, lowercase g, Nothing. There is no leeway in this command. What God wants to do is make sure that the culture that his people are living in does not influence the true God, does not, does not influence the people away from the true God, the living God, the almighty God, the faithful, the jealous, the loving, and the all-powerful God, uppercase G, that the people serve. This is the third point in your notes this morning. Christians do not have a choice not to serve uppercase G, God. Christians don't have a choice. See, it's a benchmark of our Christian faith and, and knowing who it is that we serve. We need to know who it is that we serve. If you are a Christian, you serve the God of Israel, of Jacob, of Joshua, of Moses. You serve the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We all know how strong our culture can be. We know that. I know that, that you live in, in our culture every day, and our culture likes to shame you for following uppercase G God. Our culture wants to make uppercase G God into what they want God to be in their finite mind, and that's making uppercase G God into a lowercase G God. See, we don't get to change God. God gets to change us. Society likes some of the attributes of uppercase G God, but other attributes, society likes to try and justify their misdeeds by maybe ridiculing attributes of God. As if God himself didn't create the definition of, of fair. Some people will say, oh, well, God's not fair. Well, God made fair. He made fair. He made rules. Some people come to 1 John 4, 8, and this is all that they read. They read, God is love. And then they want to stop right there and say, oh, well, God, God is love, that, that everything is okay if we just simply love. And God wants us to, to love one another. And that's true, but that's not the only attribute of God. Someone once asked on an internet message board, 
How many gods are there in the world? Another writer came into the message board. A person responded and stated there were nearly 30 million gods on earth being worshipped in this world, but none worshipped more than the God named me. There's a lot that goes on in our personal lives that sometimes it's hard to remember these other attributes of God. See, God has some attributes that aren't all fun and games, that aren't all, you know, kitty cats and pony rides. One of the attributes of God, an attribute that this world doesn't want to recognize, is the attribute of jealousy. See, our world doesn't like to, to, to look at God as being jealous, although the world is okay with a high school girlfriend being jealous when her high school boyfriend is seen with another girl that sits the fourth row back in Mr. McLean's economics class. She is, it's okay for her to get jealous, and it's okay for her to act out, and it's okay for her to get revenge. That's fine. Jealousy on display in high school, that's okay. But God, then no, he can't be jealous. God's all love, right? Let's ask God. Come back with me. We're in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 5, just a few verses down from where we're studying. It says, You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, uppercase G, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other lowercase g gods. In the English Standard Version of the Bible, the word jealousy or jealous is used 74 times. In Greek, it's the word zelos. It's, it's where we get our, our English word zeal, where we get um, the, the definition of, of maybe envious or jealous, to, 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 to have deep zeal, maybe somebody who's really passionate. And then some of us might say, well, you know what, in, in high school... No one was jealous of me. There was, there was really no one who, who caused a scene for me. I was just there. I was just one of the normal kids. I had a boyfriend or I had a girlfriend, but it never made anyone jealous. I never made anyone jealous. Yes, you did. You did. Your creator, uppercase G, God, has always been jealous for you. He has always had great zeal for you. He has always had great passion for you. He has always had great devotion to you. He has had a great urgency for you. I wonder if our zeal and jealousness for God is as deep as his devotion and faithfulness and jealousness for us. Does the first commandment still matter? Yeah. It does. It still matters. Thou shalt have no other gods, lowercase g, before me. It matters to his people, and it matters to you, his person, his child. You are his, and he is yours. It is a covenant that God made with his people but it's also a covenant that God made with every person. What does it mean to have no other gods, lowercase g, except God, uppercase g? 
It means total devotion. Total devotion. God is not only omnipotent, which is all-powerful. God is also, here's another great quality of God, omnipresent. Omnipresent. It means he is everywhere. He is present everywhere. However, we, we're not. We are, we are finite, where God is infinite. How can God, how can God answer all of our prayers? Chances are, every evening, you and I are praying at the same exact time. How can God answer your prayers and answer my prayers? Well, it's because He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, but He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere. How can God have a personal relationship with you and have a personal relationship with me at the same time, with all of his children at the same time? Because he's omnipotent, he is all-powerful, and he is omnipresent. He is everywhere. How many of us have ever prayed a prayer and we finished and we said amen and then the next thing we hear is... God's answering machine. It says, hello, this is uppercase G God. Um, I am out right now. I am out answering somebody else's prayer, and I will get back to you as soon as I am able. Beep! Have you ever heard that from God? This is uppercase God. He's not sending somebody else to answer your prayers. No, He and you have a personal relationship. I want you to imagine that you are standing in the longest line that you have ever had to stand in. And you're waiting in this line for your chance to talk to God. You can look at the, you look at that line, you can't see the front of that line. You're waiting, it doesn't seem like it's moving. This is like being at the DMV for months. So you get out your phone and you're just kind of looking at your apps and just trying to, you know, burn some time. You ask the guy in front of you to hold your spot in line so that, so that you could go over to Kingdom Donuts across the street and use the bathroom. And, and you come back and, and your spot only moved three feet. That's it. Just three feet. And you can look up ahead and you can see that the line to get to God, it winds around St. Peter's place up there and, 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 and the heavenly gates, it goes through those gates. And, and then you tell yourself, wow, this is going to be a long, long wait. And as you wait, you start counting the pearls on the fence. You start looking up at the clouds and counting all the baby angels and looking at the shapes and You do whatever you can to kind of cure this boredom as you're waiting in line for your chance to see God. And the idea of leaving this line, I guess it's come to your mind. It's almost like that line of traffic. You've seen some people up there in the line who've given up. They've said, that's it. And they just turn around. They get out of line and they go back. They're just going back. They're done. That's it. They've had enough. And you wait for what seems like days and you finally get to the front of the line. You're up next. And you could see, you could see up there through that curtain and through that cloud. That's where you're going. God is there. That's where God is. You are next. You're standing right here. And then you get up and then you hear, next. 
But an, but an angel tells you to hold off, hold back. Because five kids just cut in front of you. All five of them, these bratty little angel kids just, and, and, and the angel said, okay, you can go. Takes one of the kids. One of the little angel brat kids is now going, and now you're waiting more. I wonder how we would feel if God made us wait. Might we be a little angry at God if he put another one of his children first before us? Why then do, do we not understand that, that God is jealous and he is every right to be angry when we put a lowercase g God in front of him? God never makes us wait. God never leaves us for someone else. He never drops our calls. He never sends us to voicemail. He's faithful. God is here. God is loving. He's kind. He's available. I am his and he is mine. My relationship with God is personal. Your relationship with God is personal. I don't have to wait for your prayer to be answered before my prayer is answered. Why do we make God wait until we are all done with whatever it is we are doing until we are ready to serve Him and then we are ready to answer His call? Why do we make God wait? Why do we put God on hold? Why do, we, why do we ask him to hold? Why do we say, God, I've got to, oh, hold on, hold on a second. I've got, I got a call waiting. I've got a call, hold on a second. You know what that means? That means that we're putting uppercase G God on hold so that we can go and serve lowercase G God. It means God is on hold, just listening to hold music. That's it. Just listening to hold music. It's, a common, it's common for in a sermon like this for a pastor to get up and ask the question, what lowercase g gods are you putting before uppercase g god? I'm not even going to ask that question this morning. I'm simply going to ask this. What are you going to do about it? What is it that we are going to do about it? God tells us how close our Creator wants to be with us. And it tells us how personal of a relationship He wants to have with us. I want you to see what Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 4, verse number 19. He says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His gracious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Did you see that? You see how personal this is? Look what Luke writes in Luke 12, verse number 32. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. This morning, I pray that you will find a closeness with uppercase G, God, and a personal relationship with him. If uppercase G God is not before all others, what are you going to do about it? How do we fix it? 
Is there any way? How do we get back? See, if God is always there when we call on Him, are we always there when He calls on us? This morning, I want you to know that the Ten Commandments do still matter. God says, you shall have no other gods but me. What are we going to do about it? I don't know what it is in your life that is a lowercase g God. But if there is even a lowercase g God, even behind uppercase g God, it's in the wrong place. God doesn't say, put me first and then put your lowercase g gods second, third, fourth, and fifth. He doesn't say it's okay to line them up behind me. He says, have no other lowercase g gods but me, your only uppercase g god. Amen.